every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, was quoted this morning. I might say everything exactly that John said this morning. I have no idea because I was not here to hear the sermon yet. But um, I'm actually going to just point out uh, six realities of the new covenant very briefly, and then I want to apply it the way that John applies it. So 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27, is one of the ways that the new covenant is actually applied to Christians. So we're just going to take 1 John 2 for our applications, okay? But I want to start with actually just looking at the new, the new covenant. So Coloss- or, I'm sorry, so Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34 is the new covenant. Let me read the text for you. It says this, look, the days are coming, and this is written at least 600 years before Jesus died on the cross. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord or know Yahweh, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is Yahweh's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a little bit, and we're going to hold up the cup, and I'm going to say this cup, I'm going to quote Jesus where he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What is a covenant? A covenant, very simply, is a solemn oath, a solemn promise, a commitment, a pledge, and our entire relationship with God is a covenantal relationship rooted in Christ and promised to Adam. God had a covenantal relationship with Adam and then a promise to Abraham uh, to bless Abraham and to make him a blessing to all nations. God made a covenant with Israel and then he made a covenant with David. And God relates to humanity through his covenants, through a covenant. And so here for us, our relationship with God is really, our covenantal relationship with God is through this new covenant. So here are six truths about the new covenant. Number one, looking at verse 31, um, this covenant, Jesus, or God says through Jeremiah, when I, it says, look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with whom? In verse 31, with whom is God making the covenant? The house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, so the first thing is that um, God is making this covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's a national covenant. It's to the nation of Israel. It's a national covenant. Continuing on with this national covenant, verse 32, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. So that covenant made with Israel was mediated by whom? Who mediated that covenant when they came out of Egypt, when Israel came out of Egypt, who was the prophet leader from God who mediated that covenant between God and Israel? 
Moses, right? And they broke that covenant, and that's why they were about to, the, the north was exiled, and the south, at least in Jeremiah's time, was about to be exiled from the land, or maybe even by this point where Jeremiah is prophesying here that they have just been exiled out of the land because they broke the covenant. Just like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they broke God's word, Israel was in the promised land, they broke God's covenant, so they too are kicked out of the promised land where God dwells for breaking the covenants. And God says to Israel, to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah, to the nation of Israel, I am going to make a new covenant with you, the nation of Israel. So the first thing to know is that the new covenant replaces the Israelic covenant made through Moses, but it is still an Israelic covenant. It is still national and it is still corporate. Secondly, the new covenant comes. When will this new covenant come? According to verse 33. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. When? After those days, after the exile, after the return from exile, after those days. So the new covenant is coming in the future from Jeremiah's perspective, okay? This is, again, 600 years before Jesus. Number three, so the new covenant comes after those days. Thirdly, the new covenant promises that the Lord's teaching will be written where? On our hearts, within, right? In verse 33, I will put my teaching within them, and I will write it on their hearts. God will write his laws, so that we want to do what we ought to do. It's not just something we read and it's on the outside, so we're just externally obeying, but the obedience will flow from the inside, from our hearts. Next, we see that this covenant promises, this is not a new promise, this is an old promise repeated. Uh, it says at the end of verse 33, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what God has promised throughout the, the Bible story, even up, to, up until this point. Now he will be whose God? Who's there? Who's there? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he, he will be their God, and they, house of Israel and house of Judah, will be his people. Okay? Um, reading on in verse 34, no longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. So what will we no longer need? What is no longer needed for those in the new covenant, according to verse 34? They don't need a what? They do need to know the Lord. They don't need someone to what? To teach them. And someone who teaches is called a teacher. That's right. They don't need teachers anymore. They won't, know, they won't need teachers to tell them to know the Lord because they will know the Lord already because God will do it through this new covenant. And lastly, sixthly, the ground of this covenant. What is the foundation for this whole covenant? How, why will this covenant be able to stand and last? The very end of verse 34. For I will what? I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This whole covenant will only work on the basis of God forgiving his people of their sins. The new covenant promises are grounded in the forgiveness and the forgetting of sin. Not that God is no longer omniscient, but forgetting in the sense of no longer holding it against us. And so when was this new covenant inaugurated? When was this new covenant ratified? When, did, when was this forgiveness secured? With whom? Jesus Christ, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the death of Christ, in him dying for sins, our sins are paid for, forgiveness is secured, and now all of these new covenant promises can be given to the people that Jesus died for. 
Now, I did say it was a national covenant. In the old covenant, God calls them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And in Christ, Christ himself embodies that holy nation. He is the son of God, the true Israel. And all of those who are united to Christ as vines to, as vines to or branches to a vine, all those who are united to Christ the vine, who is the true Israel, becomes true Israel by, by union with Jesus Christ. So if you're united to Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, then you are part of true Israel, house of Israel, house of Judah, through your union with Christ, such that Peter could say to Gentiles in 1 Peter 2.9, that you are also a kingdom of priests and a holy what? Holy nation. So you are part of a holy nation. Okay, you are part of the nation, the holy nation of the new covenant Israel, the new covenant people of God. And that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christian, you are outside of a covenant relationship with God. And if you're outside the covenant relationship of blessing with God, then you are under the curse of God. The only way to avoid the curse of God, well, the reason you're under God's curse is because you're a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. And because of our sins, we deserve damnation and death because God is holy and righteous. But God promises forgiveness of sins to all the children and all the adults here and to everyone here and to all of our neighbors for everyone who will repent from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ, who died for their sins and rose from the dead for their sins. So children and adults here, if you are hearing me and you're not a Christian, God is calling you, inviting you to be part of his people, to be part of the holy nation, to have the forgiveness of sin. God wants to write his law in your heart and put his teaching within you, and he will. If you trust in Jesus Christ and unite yourself to Christ by faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from sin. Okay, so let's apply this here in the last few minutes. We've got five minutes here. Look at 1 John chapter 2. I want to pull a few applications from 1 John chapter 2. Four applications. Look at 1 John 2, verses 18 to 27 in the New Testament. The very end of your Bible, just a little bit before Revelation, is 1 John 2. First John 2, here are four applications. Application number one, realize, New Covenant Christians, that you are living in the last hour and the Antichrist, Antichrist teaching is pressing on the churches, pressing on our church, and even pressing on us within the church. Look at First Peter, or First John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even right now, what? Many Antichrists have what? Have come. By this we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, church family, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. It is the last hour. Many antichrists are in the world, pressing on the churches, even rising up within the churches to deceive them. And you need to realize it is the last hour if you're in this these latter days. Secondly, realize that you already know the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Look at verses 20 through 23. But you have an anointing. I'll come back to the anointing later. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the what? You all know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ? If you deny that Jesus is Christ, this one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father, no, I'm sorry, no one who denies the Son has the Father. 
Uh, but he who confesses the son has the father as well. What is John saying? You already know the truth. I don't need to tell it to you. You already know it. You already know that the son, that God the son, Jesus, is the Messiah, and you don't deny Christ, and you don't deny the father. You hold to the father and son. You hold to the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you believe that. And I don't need to tell you that. You already believe that. That's why you joined this church. You didn't join this church to learn that. You already knew that. And that's why you came to this church. That's why you joined this church family. So realize you already know the truth. Third, realize that you don't ultimately, you don't ultimately need a human teacher to teach you this core fundamental truth. It's already in you. And the spirit is in you. Look at verses 26 and 27. 26 and 27. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Remember, there's many antichrists. As for you, church family, as for you Christians, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. So you need to realize that you already have the anointing and the anointing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to you. He has been given to you. He dwells within you. He has made known to you the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God, that, that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has revealed that to you. And we don't, you don't need any human teacher to reveal that to you and to tell you that you already know that. So you don't ultimately need teachers. Now, why am I spending time teaching? Why is John spending time um, writing 1 John? Why is he teaching if you already know it? We don't need ultimate teachers. Ultimately, we already know the truth because our ultimate teacher is whom? The Holy Spirit. And the law is written on our hearts from God directly, not from your pastors, not from others. It's from God. So you don't need ultimate, you don't ultimately need a teacher. Now you need teachers to grow you in it, to, hope, to help you in it, but you don't ultimately need a teacher. The ultimate teacher you have is the Holy Spirit. And yet there's still a place for teaching. That's why John wrote First John. That's why I'm preaching right now. And so there's a command, and this is where, why we're having teaching. The very last part of verse 27, what's the command? If you have the anointing already, you already know the truth, you know that they're antichrist, what's the command in verse 27? Remain in him. So remain in Christ, remain in the Holy Spirit, remain in the truth. And so very practically, how do you remain in the truth? I have two uh, suggestions for you. One is uh, keep reviewing the gospel, the Trinitarian gospel that is in you, keep reviewing it. Remain in the Father and the Son. Keep meditating on the preaching of the gospel every Sunday. Keep meditating on the scripture readings that are read publicly. Keep reading your Bible with other Christians and reviewing good Christian doctrine with others inside and outside of this church. Read over the confession of our faith privately. So personally, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read the confession of faith at the back of your membership directory. Read the catechism of our church. Review good doctrine. Read other books and good resources and keep refreshing yourself to remain in the truth that you already have in you. Okay, so review the truth regularly as a church, with others interpersonally and on your own. And then lastly, on this remaining in the truth, remain in and among God's people. What do you have in verse 19? They went out from us because they did not what? Belong to us. Part of remaining in the truth and remaining in Christ, part of obeying that is remaining in fellowship with the church where you keep reviewing these truths and celebrating these truths and teaching these truths to others and propagating these truths and celebrating the Lord's Supper 
where we say over and over and over again every week in this church family, this is Christ's body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in his blood. You know he's the Messiah. You know the Son. You know the Father. You have the Holy Spirit. It is written in you. You already know it. Let's just keep going deeper in it and sharing it with more and more people all the way to the end as antichrists continue to affect and try to uh, raise, um, try to uproot people in our church and in other churches. Let's keep remaining in Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to remain in you and in your son and in your spirit and in the truth that has been given to us and written on our hearts through the new covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.